HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum. I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I would love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. I'd also love it if you would consider becoming a member. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit member-supported radio station featuring 35 shows every week. And then we go and do really neat stuff. I just got back from Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, there was a couple of us down there interviewing people at the Wine and Food Festival. Uh, so watch out in the coming weeks for a bunch of that stuff. We were broadcasting live, and we're going to edit it together into some pieces that will then be posted up on the internet. Today's episode 138 of Feast Your Ears. Today's theme, taxidermy, or how to make it last. I talk a lot about fermentation. I'm a vinegar maker. I like making pickles. I make miso. It's a transformation of food from one thing into another. Sometimes that's about access to nutrients. Sometimes it's about flavor. Sometimes it's about a change like yeast turning sugar into alcohol, which most of us like. And often it's about preservation. Why do we preserve things? We do it to make them last longer or to store them so we can use them later. Take pickles. Raw vegetables would rot before we could eat them all. By pickling them, we've extended the longevity of their, avail- of their availability to us as food. We also preserve food by drying it. Removing the water keeps it from spoiling. Often when you dry something, you can sort of tell what it used to be, but visually sometimes it's hard. Is that a carrot? Is it beef? What about preserving the outside of an animal, too? I'm not talking about... Sorry, I totally screwed up what I was reading. Let me start that over again. What about preserving the outside of an animal, too? Have you ever been up close with a squirrel, a raccoon, a cobra? I certainly haven't. But through the work of my guest today and her peers, we can observe, examine, enjoy, and learn about animals and insects that have been preserved. 
Amber Maycutt runs Brooklyn Taxidermy here in Greenpoint. She preserves animals, but not for food. She's a taxidermist and entomology artist, and her work focuses on preserving the animal or insect so that we can observe its form and be closer to it than we could when it was alive. Thanks, Amber, for sitting down to talk with me today. Hi, thanks for having me. So you run Brooklyn Taxidermy. Um, I have been in my life tangentially aware of taxidermists. I lived in Maine for a while, and there was like a little nice. shack on the side of the road uh, that was a taxidermist, and have never had anything taxidermied myself. How did you get into taxidermy? Um, I guess I was a collector for a long time, and then just kind of turned into my hobby and then hobby turned jobby type of thing so I think I originally started kind of you know collecting crappy taxidermy and whatever I could afford which would usually be cheap or broken or you know dilapidated pieces yeah. and then um, you know in my early 20s I could only afford stuff that was like flea market finds garage right. sale stuff uh, you know cheap eBay Craigslist finds um, so a lot of times I would have to want to you know repair something or clean something or figure out how to make it kind of acceptable to <laughs> be hanging on my wall and not frightening to people so um, I started looking into stuff on my own, like, you know, YouTube videos and getting books about how to fix stuff or how to clean it. And then eventually I took some classes on it. Um, I went and got certified in bird and mammal taxidermy. I did like a formal apprenticeship for a while. I interned in the fabrication department at the Natural History Museum. Right. They have a huge collection with all the dioramas. Yeah. Um, they don't actually make like taxidermy anymore it's more just like maintenance there or special exhibitions but um yeah so I just kind of got you know a little bit obsessive like anything else of just kind of getting into something like slowly more and more over the past <laughs> like 10 years so is, I mean historically is was that the main purpose of taxidermy for things like museums yeah so taxidermy is typically um you know like with Carl Akeley and people at the Natural History Museum, you know, around Teddy Roosevelt time, they would, you know, go to Africa where people had never seen like a lot of African specimens sure. in person. So they would, you know, hunt them and like field dress them and bring their skins back and um, assemble them in dioramas to show like their actual, you know, so people would be seeing these animals for the first time. Yeah. And it person. is pretty incredible. I mean, I, you know, having like, it's one thing to go to the zoo where I feel like it's a little bit, uh, you know, sometimes depending on the quality of the zoo and the handling of the animals, it can feel like a little sad, kind of, you know, to a certain yeah. extent. But when you walk into the Natural History Museum to see like the elephants that are there, right. it's pretty breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah, I think that too. It's like, I, I kind of love about taxidermy how it's kind of like a confusing, provocative thing, or it's very <laughs> like, it's like light and dark. It's happy and sad. It's sure. kind of morbid, but cute. It's like, it's a fascinating art form. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it definitely is. So so my dad has a couple pieces of taxidermy. He's got a hawk and cool. he's got some squirrels, I think. Um, and some of them, you know... Hawks are illegal, by the way. Are they really? Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it came, it came from a flea market. He's a big antique flea market yeah. dealer. Um, cool. But interesting. So hawks are illegal. So there are things that you can't taxidermy. Yeah. Um, mostly birds, like birds of prey, are protected federally in the sure. U.S. So owls, hawks, you know, any like things that are at the top of their food chains, right. um, usually because their deaths will like trickle down that whole food chain. So of course. they're protected. You, right. Actually, you're not even allowed to like possess a single feather of theirs. Like people a lot of times be like, oh, well, I found this dead owl. I found it. And it's like, it doesn't matter if you found it or if it's huh. like an antique or not. It doesn't. It's oh, interesting. It's one of those things where you're like, people contact me like constantly more than anything about this, like 
illegal birds. And I'm always like, I have to be like, no, I just started an FAQ page so I can just like link them and be like, right. actually, the yeah. Migratory Bird Act protects them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, anything that people then become more interested in, you're going to see people going after those things, right? I mean, yeah. look, at, look at poaching in Africa. It's a big right. deal, whether it's the horns of the rhinoceros for theoretical medicine or yeah. whatever Yeah. I was actually in the um, Natural History Museum in Dublin um, like a year or two ago, and it was like the most dilapidated collection I'd <laughs> ever seen of just like, it was so sad and like cover, everything was covered in dust and things were like over a hundred years old and never maintained. And they had a rhinoceros in there that um, it had the horn ripped off of it, like a, some, a visitor stole oh it. God. Because it's like worth like you know on the black market or right. whatever for like Chinese herbs and like you know whatever it does that they're uh, huh. it's valuable. Wow. Well, so so then you know so you you can't do birds necessarily. So how do you get the specimens that you are then working um, with? Kind of a lot of different sources that aren't as um, you know people often have the misconception that taxidermy is really like you're killing the animal and it's like right. so unnecessary and it's like I've never hunted in my right. life and I don't really have any interest in doing that but um a lot of the stuff I get is like uh butcher remains so okay. anything that people eat um, a lot of times like the butchers will throw out the skins right sure. so it goes to waste so instead it's like you know, I, I went around like the crazy girl with my business card being like, hey, if you're throwing out any, you know, chickens and like rabbits, quail, pheasant, goat, like anything you can possibly, you know, give me a call if you get something that looks OK or, right. you know, going there and teaching them like how to make the proper cuts that we can use it for taxidermy oh, nice. and stuff. So that's a big source of it for yeah. me. And also my um, mentor. Um, Mark Van Loom and I work at his shop, Buckshot, Buckshot Taxidermy in Sussex, New Jersey, like two hours outside of here. It's like super rural area. And um, he's kind of a genius in that he opened his shop across the street from a zoo. So, wow. Yeah. So he gets a lot of like, they'll be like, all right, the polar bear or the tiger passed away after, right. like, you know, decades of living, like go over there with like a dolly and wheel it, <laughs> wheel it over. <laughs> and then also, interestingly, they have a... Um, permit with the state where um, they are paid to collect roadkill there. And then they have these huge walk-in freezers where they take it and break it down and it's their, it's animal food for the animals. So it's the same thing, getting those skins. And then a lot of times people, you know, will bring in, there's a lot of hunters up there and stuff that, you know, hunt stuff for sustenance. And then um, my mentor breaks it down and butchers it for them sometimes. And we, you know, get the skins from there. And I know a guy who owns a um, pest control company in Queens, and I, sometimes they'll call me up and be like, I have a baby raccoon, or, you know. Right. They, I guess by New York state law, they have to destroy nuisance animals they can't catch uh, and release. Okay. Got um, it. So, yeah, it's kind of all over the place. Of And then and then you're taking them, and, you know, I've, I've seen different kinds of taxidermy, both in, like, my father's collection, but also um, in other places show up, and some of it is very naturalist and yeah. looks like, you know, it's a raccoon on a branch or something mm-hmm. like that where you might see that in the wild. And then I feel like there's a, and I don't know if this is recent or not, but there's, like, an anthropomorphic yeah. thing in taxidermy where I, I was at a trade show a couple of years ago in Atlanta and I saw an entire booth that was like really? anthropomorphized taxidermy like squirrels that looked right. like they were drunk hanging on a Bud Light can yeah. and there was a setting of like four raccoons that were playing poker right yeah I do a lot of that too it's probably actually the most popular stuff that I do is like commission work people want small size stuff like mice like 
you know, dressed up in little outfits like a Hamlet mouse or a, a <laughs> nun or, you know, a, a, like a band that they like or make it look like their boyfriend or David Bowie or whoever. Got it. So, and a lot of that stuff is commissioned. Do you have yeah. pieces that you specifically do? Like that you, like, do you have a, a set of your art that you do with that or it's mostly just commissions in that way? Um, it's probably half and half. Yeah. I do a lot of like stuff that's, I, I run an Etsy store that's actually, I don't know, it's incredibly busy. I have like two assistants helping me like assemble and make stuff wow. on there. So, um, and that a lot of stuff is kind of like, we're like pumping it out ahead of time and we have like standard kind of anthropomorphic stuff that's sure. like best sellers that people buy. So a lot of times, you know, one of the popular ones is like a tattoo artist mouse or squirrel where they have like a little tattoo machine and a little like, you know, their little flash sheet with them. And some <laughs> people want their customized flash sheet of their own drawings or to give as a gift to their tattooer. Got it. Or wedding mice. People get like a bride and groom. They're like beyond their wedding it. cake or as a wedding gift or... Yeah, sometimes I really wonder about, you know, people always buying this as gifts and like I would, to see, I would love right, to be a the fly reaction? on the wall to see like getting this gift of like how many people are like, oh, thanks, I guess, <laughs> and how many people are psyched. Um, and then you also work with insects. Yeah, I do a lot of entomology stuff. That was actually kind of the gateway drug for me into taxidermy was starting with um, pinning and mounting butterflies. So I love that. That's a really fun one for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's something that uh, I'm always amazed when I see them, how beautiful they are. And, you know, it's something, especially in the city, once in a while, right, you catch a fleeting glimpse of a monarch, but yeah. not a lot of the other ones. And then being able to see that sort of all the time is very cool. Yeah. Yeah, what's interesting, actually, is um, a lot of butterflies only have a lifespan of about two weeks. So, yeah, it is, like, magical to see one. Yeah. So is there... Um, What's the largest thing you've ever worked on? Um, so mostly at my little studio in Greenpoint, I do a lot of small-scale stuff, and then large-scale stuff is reserved for when I'm at um, Mark's big shop, like two hours outside of New York. So there I help him, like, you know, work on, like, whole grizzly bears or oh, wow. whole deers or, yeah, like, he gets, you know, moose and elk and, yeah. you know, big hunting game stuff yeah, yeah, where yeah. people will go to like Kodiak Island in Alaska to like hunt a bear Got and it. bring it back. And so he gets a lot, he's like 180 different from like kind of the stuff that's popular in Brooklyn. Like he right. get, he's like the traditional taxidermist with like the trophy mounts. You know sure. what I mean? People are like with coming in with their big buck that they want to be like hanging over their fireplace right. as like their trophy. Right. Um, do you, um, well, I guess I should ask what's the smallest thing? you've ever worked on I guess mice yeah right yeah mice baby mice and what's the so that so the process no just kidding (laughs) so the the process essentially is that you are really just preserving the exterior I was reading online about um freeze drying yep as a technique as well and that in in freeze drying you're keeping the entire animal right can you can you explain the difference a little bit yeah, so taxidermy technically means the movement of skin. So taxidermy, like a uh, taxi, like a taxi cab movement, or yeah. like tactics, like the movement or arrangement of people, um, like military tactics, and dermy, like dermatology, skin. Right. So typically, traditionally, you're removing the skin from the specimen, and then you're treating it, and you're moving it onto a mannequin or a form. So since... Um, like the 1950s, they like came up with like the industrialization of taxidermy. So it's like these polyurethane foam carvable mannequins that are uh, kind okay. of like, you know, like cast to the traditional like a standard size. So you and get like you, a deer head size. Yeah. 
and then you take the skin off and wrap it around that and you're removing yep. the bones and the meat yeah so it's just the skin yeah so that's why it's like the butcher remains like work right. a lot of times because we just need the skin um and then um so freeze-dry taxidermy is different because you just remove the um internal organs and the eyes and the rest of the entire thing stays hmm. so um so you would like remove those parts um and then you would like stuff it with like wet sawdust or something and sew it shut and kind of like pose it in the position that you want and put your glass eyes in and then um it goes into a freeze dryer which is kind of like a you know making astronaut ice cream so it's sure. basically like removing all of the moisture out of it so that it can never decompose um so these machines are like incredibly expensive yeah, they're like I tens imagine. of thousands of dollars especially getting one that can fit you know, that's not just to, like, make your, you know, fallout shelter food or something, right. <laughs> but, like, to make, you know, someone's dog or cat. So, um, yeah, a lot of pets are done with freeze-dry taxidermy because if you think, like, well, first of all, they don't cast, you know, like, um, traditional taxidermy, like the catalogs and places where you can order these materials, like the mannequins, are only for, like, hunting stuff and, like, natural museum stuff. So they don't sure. do domestic pets and everything. And then right, also, and the variation's so wide in cat Yeah, dog that too, exactly. Shape. Like, yeah. there's a million species of them. And then, um, um, yeah, so dogs and cats typically, like, um, they get freeze-dried because if you think if you're going to take off their skin and put it onto a mannequin, it's, you know, not often going to look exactly like your pet. Right. And when it's your pet, it's like, you know, you stared at them for like 10 years or more and you know their exact, like the musculature of their face and their expression and everything. So capturing that is a lot harder when you're just working with the skin. So if you're sure. keeping like, you know, the bones and the muscle and everything in there, you're going to get like a much more realistic result. Right. Sure. We're going to take a short break and we're going to hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about collecting uh, antique taxidermy. Sure. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history, and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MoFad's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org events. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum. If you're just tuning in, my guest today is Amber Maycutt, who owns Brooklyn Taxidermy. And we've been talking about uh, different styles of taxidermy uh, and the work that she does also with uh, insects as well, mounting insects. So I wanted to talk a little bit, Amber, about collecting taxidermy. Okay. Um, you know, what, 
should people, you know, like what should people be looking for if they're at a flea market? Like what is the sign of a good piece of taxidermy versus a bad piece of taxidermy? Um, well, I guess the number one thing to look for would be like some type of insect like infestation uh. that you want to stay far away from and not bring into your home. Um, so if you see any little like, you know, bugs or like not usually bugs, but casings of bugs, like in, sure. it's usually it would be like around the ears or the um, back of the head somewhere. And also if you tug on the fur and the fur pulls out, um, you don't want that either because it's just going to be shedding and it's just you know, falling apart. And eventually you'll just have a bald squirrel in your, <laughs> yeah, in your house. Exactly. <laughs> and it needs a wig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you do restorations, right? So if somebody yep. say had a piece of taxidermy that someone had given them or that they found, yeah. you can sometimes restore that. Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of, most taxidermy is salvageable, if it, even if it's been, you know, in somebody's basement forever. Um, I mean, worst comes to worst, you can like fully like soak the taxidermy for days and just get the skin off and remount the whole oh, thing. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, or, you know, you could just give it like a deep cleaning and like we do a lot of like a, for the face, we do a lot of epoxy work and airbrushing. So <clears throat> that can like really, you know, it's like the swan. It's like the reveal of like, you know, getting your hair and makeup done can like change everything. Right. Sure. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't have any taxidermy in my house right now, but I sort of, I, I mean, I used to have a dog and I, you know, taxidermy we, we, dog? we joked, no real dog. We, <laughs> we joked about having him taxidermy, but yeah. we decided not to, um, in part because he was very old by the yeah. time he passed away. And so we felt like it wasn't, that wasn't, if we wanted to remember him, right. that wasn't the time in his life that we kind of wanted to remember. Yeah. Um, well, good for you. Cause a lot of people don't know that. And they bring in like pictures of their dog, like 10 years earlier. And we're like, yeah, this isn't a time machine. Like right. we're not magicians. <laughs> like <laughs> it's not how it goes. Right. I mean, especially it sounds like if, you, and if you're doing the freeze dry thing, it's essentially exactly whatever yeah. gets brought in, right? Yeah, That's exactly. What people so, are going to end up with. Yeah. You don't want to bring a sick looking animal. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Um, and what about your collection? Like how many pieces do you have? Oh geez. Um, so much. I have, my house is covered in stuff. And I think also originally how I kind of got started with the like taxidermy, like business aspect was kind of like, you know, maintaining my collection and just like selling it off. Cause it was just like having too much stuff and just wanting to keep kind of the greatest hits or yeah. like my favorite pieces. And then just kind of, you know, you find something there like, okay, this has to replace this piece right. because I have no room. <laughs> it's a very New York city way to be about it. Right. Yeah. You only have so much space to have yeah. animals on your wall. So. Yeah, definitely. I think too, that's like lends itself to like why like the small animals are so popular here in the right. city. Cause it's like, no one has room. Like yeah. and no one, you know, no one, you have to have a couch over, like having like a full coyote mount, you know, on your floor or something. Um, so what, like, what are some of your favorites that you have in your collection? Um, in my personal collection, I don't know. I have like there was a, I have a bear um, shoulder mount that I have that's like was really old and I fixed it up. But I was walking down my block, like, carrying a deer head, and you know one of my neighbors out on a stoop like smoking out on a stoop. He's like, hey, you like that kind of shit? <laughs> I, I got a bear head down in my basement. You can have it. I was going to throw it out. And I was like, um, yeah. So I like went awesome. down into his basement with him and he gave it to me and I was like on my way. And, um, and like, of course my husband was like, that's like a, you know, guy in a van being like, want some candy? Come get in the van. Like, and I'm just like, Come in okay, my basement for yeah, a bear head, yeah. totally. I'm like, okay, cool. But lucky me. <laughs> 
Uh, that's great. I mean, that's one of the great things about being in New York City, right? Is that like, yeah. you know, the, the stuff comes out of the woodwork as soon as people know or like <laughs> have any idea what you're doing. Um, you teach classes in taxidermy as well. Yeah. So if anybody listening is interested in yeah. learning about Every it, they Saturday. Can go to brooklyntaxidermy.com and sign up. Tell yeah. me a little bit about that. You have different scales of classes, right? Some of yeah. them are, are like chipmunk yeah. and then up to larger types of animals yeah so the traditional offerings we have that's like every saturday will be one of either butterfly mouse rat chipmunk squirrel um and then you can do like those are the whole body like life size um meaning like the whole body is the mount and then uh we do fox and raccoon too which is just like a shoulder mount like a head that you would put on the wall and is that um how do i mean is it like high school science class like the you get like a frozen like chipmunk and then um, the people yeah. have to eviscerate it and skin yes. it and do all the stuff yeah so it's a skin and mount class so you learn the whole process from start to finish so um yeah you work on like a semi-frozen specimen and you skin it and then learn how to fit it to your mannequin wow. and mount it sew it up blow dry it pose it yeah all that stuff and then you can like do your anthropomorphic stuff if you want to yeah. like it comes with the class comes with some props if you want to use props and then a lot of people bring their own like ideas and props for what they want to do. A lady like brought a little wheelchair that she like bought on Etsy for like a hundred dollars to put her rat in. So people have all the kinds of weird ideas that you're like, sure, go for it. I mean, that's awesome though, right? I mean, we, yeah. live, we live in a world where most of the stuff people either buy for themselves or gift to other people is made by someone else. Yeah. And so this is an opportunity to do something super unique. And if you want to have a chip, you know, rat in a wheelchair, then go for it. I think. Yeah, right? totally. Well, I think it was a gift for someone in a wheelchair. Well, all right. I mean. That's- <laughs> that, that, that's uh, that's totally totally cool. Uh, you had mentioned to me before the show about a story you have about taxidermy related to oh, hot dogs. Oh God, yeah. Um, so I was thinking, like, when we were coming on here, we we're gonna have to talk about food the whole time, and I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna <laughs> talk about taxidermy <laughs> and food for like an hour. But um, so one of my, um, I guess, mentors is John Youngitis, and. Um, Queens in Middle Village, Queens. He owns a shop called um, what is it called? I'm blanking out. Um, but anyway, his shop is. He's like a very like old school like biker tattooed like sixty something year old like you know taxidermist who, you know, he learned from his pappy who learned from his grandpappy and all this stuff passed down. So he's very old school about it. And um, so he had this woman call up. I think she was from Harlem saying like. Oh my, you know, my pet bird passed away. Can you taxidermy everything? He's like, okay, yeah, you know, put it in the freezer and bring it to me frozen. I'm like, okay. So she comes the next day and um, she comes with like her whole family who's like, you know, it's like a Hispanic family and it's like the grandparents and the parents and like the kids. And it's like a, yeah, it's like a caravan of like 12 people like coming, coming together on like, you know, multiple trains. They took like an hour on the subway to get there. And then they show up, and she's like, gives him the um, like plastic bag with a frozen bird inside, and he opens it up, and it's a it's there's frozen hot dogs inside (laughs) instead of the bird, and she starts crying, and is like, I brought the wrong bag out of the freezer. (laughs) So then they all get back on the train and go all the way back to Harlem, and then come back the same day. So this is like all day it took them to bring back the bird. And then, so then, like, you know, months later, he finishes the bird, tells her to come pick it up, and he goes out and buys some hot dogs, and he 
puts like bird legs on the hot dogs and puts it standing on a perch. So then like when her and her whole family come again to bring in, he's like, all right, let me go get the bird out of the back room. And he comes out and it's a hot dog, hot dog with bird legs on a wood perch. <laughs> wow. That's uh, I like that. That's a, that's a, he has a great sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. I hope they thought it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I always like that. Always makes me think like these are the people I hang out with. Is like <laughs> right. or like this is this is the life I've carved out for myself. Or <laughs> so I have to point out to everybody listening that we actually have a piece of taxidermy here in the Heritage Radio studio. Oh yeah, Boarhead. Uh, we call him uh, Borlasconi. Is his nickname. Um, but I'd be curious. I don't know actually anything about the boar. I think it came probably from Patrick Martins, who owns Heritage Foods. Oh, okay. Um, who deals with in, in Heritage Meats. Yeah. Um, and Heritage, and Patrick founded the station, and so I assume that the boarhead came from him. Yeah. Um, but we'll have to, I guess, after after we're done, you can tell us, you can tell me if there's, a, if there's anything wrong with it, if it needs a repair, <laughs> or what you think of our uh, of our boar uh, head tax. I mean, I mean ever... he looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I think he looks pretty good. He's wearing yeah. a hat, I mean, which is, you know, a little anthropomorphized, I guess. I, I like that he's all black. Yeah. And then he has an open mouth. Yep. Um, yeah, so. Do you ever work on fish? Um, I don't personally do fish. I do, um, I did a snake recently, but it was freeze dried. Um, fish are interesting because, so I would say like half of fish are just like a hundred percent reproductions. Oh, wow. So because okay. like the skin on a fish can't be tanned. Sure. So it'll just kind of keep over the years like crumbling and shrinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, when you see like those, like. You know, it'd be a marlin or something that looks like it's like a car, like it's just like super blue, shiny, yeah, yeah, blue flake and like sh- yeah. yeah, shiny, and you're like it's 100 percent reproduction. It's so fake. it's really a model. Yeah. More so usually what they'll do is they'll like take a fiberglass and put like a fiberglass cup like cast on top of it, and then when it dries, they pop it off. So you have like the up, like the outer, uh, like top shell of it. Yeah. And you carve it down and airbrush it, so it's like a it. a replica. Um, and then other fish will do like you. You can skin it and you can order like a polyurethane form and put that skin on it, but it loses all of its natural coloring. So you have to airbrush it and paint all of the little scales and everything. So it's really it's meticulous of, work. A, a lot, lot of times work. the fish guys are like very, you know, they're usually like um, into like, you know, pinstriping cars and doing like fine airbrush work because it's a real like airbrush thing. Got it. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on Feast Rears. I want to make sure, sure if you are in listening and you are interested, uh, go to brooklyntaxidermy.com and you can find out more about Amber and what she does uh, and also about taking classes if you want to, you know, put a taxidermied rat in a wheelchair or on a motorcycle <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Uh, you can you can learn how to do that. You can follow her on social media. It's at Amber Maycut on both Instagram and Twitter. Um, definitely go follow her Instagram account. There's cool pictures of taxidermy uh, <laughs> on there and the stuff that she's working on. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to rate and review the show and reach out if you have any questions for me. You can find me on email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at the foodballer. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter 
at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.